0: LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's spirit to engage in his redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. Take your Bibles and open to a small book in the back of the New Testament called 2 John. It's about three books before the last book, Revelation, and uh, it's only going to take up about half of a page. Um, It's a short book, um, 2 John. I want to start a series, just a brief series for the summer uh, today um, called Three Essential three Christian essentials. And uh, I want to spend just a few weeks on some essentials for the Christian life. And here's what I'm kind of, here's how I've kind of qualified this in my mind. Three obscure books that provide three essentials for every Christian. Three obscure books. I mean, if we did a poll and people were honest, which I know those two can be difficult uh, to get people to tell the truth in together, right? But don't worry, I'm not judging you because I don't know who you are. It's, um, it's an anonymous poll. Most people haven't read, most Christians likely haven't read 2 John. And even those who could or have Many of you could. Even those who have, excuse me, uh, wouldn't remember what it said. It's not a book that you go to regularly. It's not like a book that captures most of your favorite verses, so to speak. But I want to take the book of 2 John and the book of Third John and the book of Philemon over the next three weeks, and I want us to look at three Christian essentials. Today we'll look at fellowship. Next week we'll look at faithfulness. And the third week we'll look at forgiveness. And I want to talk about some essentials for your life of following Christ daily. All right, so that's kind of where we're headed. Let me give you a little background on the book of 2 John. 2nd and 3 John were books written by um, the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. <clears throat> he was known as the Dear Apostle, probably the single closest friend to Jesus while he walked. On the face of the earth, Uh, they had a special relationship. He was uh, one of the inner three that Jesus spent the most time with, but he was also uh, kind of uh, probably the brains, and Peter was the mouth behind the uh, early apostles being formed and beginning. And so we see he had a significant ministry. Uh, We don't see his sermons a lot, but what we do see by him is his influence. And so John um, wrote these two letters, 2nd and 3rd John, most likely as cover letters for the book of 1st John. If not cover letters, then kind of PSs to the book of 1 John. And either way, it doesn't make a difference because they serve the same purpose. What he was trying to get across to the people in the church was to simply say, hey, look, here's some added information I want to give to you, but let me in so doing, give you the reasons that the book I'm writing to you are really important. And so he kind of sets up 1 John. And 2 John is written to the church at large. 3 John is actually written to an individual in the church, which we'll get to that next week. But I think these are critical books because of the role that they play, specifically with 1 John, but also in our lives. Now, the word fellowship which is kind of the title for today's sermon, is not even found in the book of 2 John. But fellowship is the defining theme of the book of 1 John. And what I believe John is doing is he's setting up his principal message in the book of 1 John. And so I think he defines for us this idea of Christian fellowship. Now, John wrote in a day and time when persecution was hard, was heavy, and was very real. I'm not talking about like we interpret persecution today, like somebody offended my uh, opinion, and so I'm being persecuted. Uh, somebody you know, took my Bible uh, from my seat at church, and so obviously I'm being persecuted. I'm talking about persecution where if even the rumor that you were a Christian got to the authorities, you were at the very least going to be beat near death, if not completely killed for that. I remember church history uh, in seminary telling the story of the Ichthus. You know what the Ichthus is, right? Some of it's riding on the back of your car. It's the little fish symbol, you know, uh, that, that represents Christians. Do you know how that began? It actually began in the first century among Christians as a way to identify each other. You see, they didn't just go up and go, hey, do you believe in Jesus? They couldn't talk about Jesus openly because it was a death sentence. And so, if they observed someone and saw the fruit of their life to be indicative of the life of a Christian, one who was striving to obey the commands of God and live it out, one of the things they would do is they would position themselves publicly, kind of in a crowd, so that that person could see them and they would t- take one of their feet and just draw an ark in the sand, just like that. And they might stay close or they would at least stay in a position where they could watch. And if that person who saw them came and completed the fish symbol with their foot, they knew that was a brother or a sister in Christ that they could trust. That's where the fish comes from. That's how that began. That was the only way they had of identifying people that they could share fellowship, Christian fellowship with. And it was important for them it provided for them a refuge of rest a refuge of mutual love and joy you know even today in countries that are illegal to be a Christian places in the world as a matter of fact more places in the world than not where it's illegal and many of those places very openly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ some of our impact partners live and work in those nations they will tell you we would get, at the very least, kicked out of the country if Christian or missionary titles were assigned to us by the government. And at the worst, we've been imprisoned. Of course, we know of Christians who are imprisoned even today who have taken very public, uh, not the people themselves, but their situation has become very public in that. And those impact partners in those countries will tell you the strength of our obedience to Christ depends so heavily upon the fellowship that we enjoy, even though it's in private, even though it is not something we can openly talk about when we get with them. We even have to be careful how we talk about the things we talk about. But we so cherish those moments because of the strength that it provides for us. And You know, you come to a a situation in America like we're in today, for which I'm eternally grateful. I do my job every week because of men and women who've given their lives to fight for the freedoms of religious liberty so I can stand up and preach every week. So never think that I'm um, uh, neglecting or dismissing that sacrifice or that service. But I will say this. In a place where church is so easy to bump in and bump out of, I think we've lost the element of Christian fellowship too often more than not so that we don't depend upon it we only engage in it if we choose to or not you see persecution was a daily reality of life by this time they needed christian fellowship and what i'll offer to you is this even in the midst of the grandeur of our religious liberty christian fellowship has not lost its essential nature for christians to live faithfully the christian Life. Christian fellowship provides spiritual strength to walk in truth and in love. John begins his letter by giving insight into this question. Then, what is Christian fellowship? And anytime I begin a, a sermon like this, I feel the need to just debunk some common myths about Christian fellowship. I have some. You have some. Just some go-to default understandings of what fellowship is about. And I just need to correct our opinion on these, okay? First of all, Christian fellowship is not about church meetings with eating, right? I mean, I grew up, I was a good church boy. I was at least a church boy. Um, <clears throat> y'all didn't catch that, did you? Or maybe it just wasn't funny, and I'm open to that too. I've got several that obviously aren't funny today. When I grew up, if they said fellowship, I knew what was on the menu. You know, I mean, that's how closely I associated the two together. And I knew who to eat, whose dish to eat from, and whose dish not to eat from. That's, that was the important thing to remember about that. But church meetings with eating are not what define Christian fellowship. There's much, there's much strong Christian fellowship that happens around the table and around the act of, and activity of eating. But it does not define Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship does not mean Christian people with common interests that enjoy each other and just happens to be Christian as well. So let's get together and hang out. Actually, Christian fellowship spans all generations. And let me just warn you in this way, that the more Christian, the more your Christian fellowship looks like you, the less beneficial it will be for you. the more it looks like you, like your stage of life, all your preferences, all of your interests, the more danger you are of not forming Christian fellowship around the very thing that creates Christian fellowship, but you at the center of that. The third debunked myth that I need to throw out there is simply this, that Christian fellowship is not what you do before and after Bible study, before and after worship, or before and after serving. We, we talk about Christian fellowship as kind of bookends for the real Christian practices, right? Like, we're going to worship. So before we'll have some coffee and pastries and a little fellowship and then worship, and then after we'll we'll make sure and touch base with some of our friends before we leave. So that's Christian fellowship. So you have fellowship, worship, fellowship, or fellowship, Bible study, fellowship. Like it's like, you know, it's like what bookends the real Christian practices. But that's not true at all, friends. Christian fellowship is the all-consuming network of relationships that are centered in Christ and that center on the things of Christ to bring about the life of Christ in you. That's just a real brief, off-the-cuff definition of what Christian fellowship is. Is all about, And that's what we're going to see this morning in 2 John. John opens with a very traditional greeting in the way that he greets the church. But he provides for us important insight. And so I want you to listen to his description of relationships among Christians in 2 John verses 1 through 3. Follow along as I read these aloud. John writes, The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. Let's pause there. For just a moment, John refers to himself as the elder uh, because it—he he was likely—he may—he's probably older than most of the people in the church at this point in his life. But very likely, it was not just a reference to age; it was as much a reference to relational positioning as well. In other words, they looked at him as an elder, one to whom they would give honor and respect, and one to whom was a leader of their congregation, even though he wasn't an immediate part of their congregation. He had been critical in founding and not only founding but as an apostle helping to establish the churches of the first century. And so he regards himself as an elder but then he says this, to the elect lady, remember the context in which they were operating, just to say, hey to all of my Christian friends and then somebody gets caught with this letter, that's trouble. And so as he's talking to the church, He's very likely using language that doesn't put them at risk in the way that he speaks to them. He orients the relationship around the combined theme of love and truth. And this relationship extends uh, uh, not only to he and the church at large, but within the church to all who know the truth. And why does he say that? Because the truth abides within each one and then he says this that grace and mercy and peace because uh, uh, will will be a part of them because it is founded in this truth and this love and so i think uh, he gives a very critical understanding of what christian fellowship is all about in helping us to discern that and and in my effort today to help you understand not only the value of Christian fellowship but really the definition and what is Christian fellowship. I want to make sure you get the mix of fellowship right so that what you're investing your life in and what you're drawing as a source of strength for you from is genuinely Christian fellowship and not some fake or some other form of social network of forms. Did you know I didn't always know this until I worked in construction for a few years. Got out of it as quick as I could. That works hard. <clears throat> Did you know that they don't mix concrete the same for different applications? I didn't know that until then. Like if it's just like, like you're building a dog pen and you want a concrete floor in it, you just pretty much throw dust in there and water it and when it hardens, it's ready to go. That's because it, you know, it's just going to deal with the dog. But if they're building a building that's huge, that's heavy, that's monstrous, they mix the concrete differently so that when it hardens, it sets up differently. And in Christian fellowship, if you don't mix, you can hear the play on words, right? If you don't mix it correctly, it may look like something for you, but when the weight And the pressure of life pushes against you. It may not sustain you. What I want you to see in these first three verses are. What mix is he telling us that Christian fellowship is really all about? What is Christian fellowship? And that's what he provides for us. We understand the importance of a firm foundation. And fellowship establishes a foundation for us upon which to build, You see, Christian fellowship that has value spiritually for your life must be mixed right or it will not sustain your life as you need it nor as God intended it. Now, I want to move quickly through these because they're just kind of setting the stage, the foundation, if you will, for where we're headed with this. But here's the four important characteristics of Christian fellowship that John points out to us. First of all, truth is central. Truth is central. That means it's the center of everything. Three times in the first two verses, the word truth is the link that holds all of the relationships together. Notice that in the first two verses, the word truth is the link that holds the relationships together. He says this uh, in verse one: "Whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth." And so truth becomes the central unifying link that holds these relationships together. And the people would have been familiar not only with John's writings, but specifically his gospel account, where in John 1.14, when he begins, he talks about, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, he says, "...and the Word became flesh." And dwelt among us. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And then quoting Jesus in chapter 14 and verse 6. He says what? He says that Jesus proclaims I am the way and the truth and the life. So when John writes to these people that truth is the link that holds their relationship together. They understood what he was saying. Is that it's not just some kind of propositional fact. But truth is a person. Jesus Christ. And so when we say that truth is central, we're saying that Jesus is central to Christian fellowship. That's what John is describing for us here. You see, Christian fellowship does not gather people with common interests, with common preferences, common stage of life or otherwise, and then mention Jesus before everybody leaves or at least have good intentions to mention him before they leave and claim that it's all about him. Rather, Jesus centers the fellowship when we identify with Him, and when we gather with one another because of Him. Christian fellowship begins simply with this confession, that Jesus is Lord. And that is the unifying link of Christian fellowship. The second important characteristic of Christian fellowship I want you to see from John's descriptionship from John's description, is simply this. I'm using too many words that end in ship today. Fellowship demands an active, healthy relationship with truth. Fellowship demands an active, healthy relationship with truth. Look what he says. He says this. That this relationship, this network of relationships among these people, he loves them, but it also includes... All who know the truth because of the truth and abides in us, the truth does. And so he uses these two qualifying words to identify all who are included in this network of relationships and it's know and abide. It's present and active. That's what these verbs are all about saying and communicating. You see, like any healthy relationship, you can't ignore Christian fellowship and expect that it will hold any benefit for your life. I mean, people do it every week. Don't get me wrong. But if you genuinely want to reap the benefit From Christian fellowship, you must sow the investment of understanding that it is an active, healthy relationship with truth. You see, know and abide means the same thing for Christians today as it meant for the hearers in that day. It means that we understand and know the life of Jesus, the teachings that He gave to us And the redemptive work that he accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection, his ascension, and his present rule and reign over us. You see, the easiest way, friend, to forsake Christian fellowship is simply this. That when the reality of your relationship today with Jesus is more dependent upon yesterday's learning... And yesterday's experience. Now, don't get me wrong. There are moments in my life as a teenager, as a young adult, and after, you know, like to young adulthood where I am now. There are moments throughout my life where they've been so significant in the voice of God speaking to me that I can't get away from those moments, kind of like markers in your life, if you will. But they are not the present source of my relationship with Jesus. That only comes from being in the truth, in his word, and abiding with that. It would be tantamount to me telling my wife, I told you I loved you when we got married, I'll let you know if anything changes. That doesn't work. And if you're trying that and you just came to a moment where you realize that you're welcome but you better change course immediately right christian fellowship depends upon the life-giving strength of daily walking with jesus the third distinct characteristic is that fellowship is demonstrated by loving actions i love what he says he says this uh, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth. And what does he say? Because of the truth. Look, he, he says this, that that, that that simply I love you in truth, but I also love you because of the truth. You see, the most inaccurate understanding or definition of fellowship is one that reduces it to a specific time, to a specific time. Place or to a specific activity. Fellowship almost always includes all of those because those are inherent to relationship. But it's never reduced only to those things. It only includes them. And what John says is, I love you in truth, but I also love you because of the truth. The truth, Jesus Christ, is the center and the reason for their love for one another. And he's also the defining motivation for the very reason that they would love one another. Because God has first loved us, we can love one another. And that's what he's saying. And, and so it, it drives me to the question then, what loving action is John demonstrating to the church if it is actions that ha- he's been motivated to love them through? What do you think that would be? I mean, we're only three verses in. How could he possibly have demonstrated any kind of love to them yet? And here's what I would argue. That John has served out of the gifts that God has given to him to encourage and strengthen the church. Simply by writing a letter to them and telling them how much God loves them. And telling them how much they can love one another because of what God has done for them. He's just serving out of the strengths and the giftings that God's given him by the Spirit. So you see, friends, Christian fellowship produces loving actions that serve to strengthen one another as we proclaim the message and as we live the mission of Jesus. The fourth characteristic is this, that fellowship produces a gospel-rich ethos. He says this, grace, mercy, And peace will be with us. I love the confidence and the simplicity of that confidence. Because sometimes confidence in God is all you have. There is no evidence to seem. It seems like God's quiet. It seems like he's being silent. It seems like things aren't going your way. It seems like people aren't doing anything that can satisfy you or pacify you. But you can always have confidence in the character and in the nature of God because he will always act in accordance to himself and that will always produce grace, mercy, and peace. And that's what John is saying to this. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will Be with us. Friends. I just want to remind you one more time. And then I'll get off my high horse here. He's writing to people. Who are probably going to lose their life. For being Christians. Confidence. In the nature. And the character of God. Matters. And when he says. These things will be with us. The likelihood that they're going to experience them an overwhelming measure on this earth was not highly likely. But it didn't shake his confidence in God producing them for them. Not one bit. You see, this is a gospel-rich ethos. And do not forget this. Christian, that, that when you base your fellowship, when you base your relationship on truth and love, not only with, with God through Christ Jesus, but with his people in the church, grace and mercy and peace will be with us. You may not like the way that God seems to be working something out in your life. You may not uh, uh, like the direction that God seems to be leading you in going. And even though you may not see the how or the why or the who or the what, when Jesus centers your relationships in Christian fellowship, truth and love always produce grace and mercy and peace. Of that, you can be confident because it's not dependent upon you, it's dependent Upon God. You see, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that He only allows situations that look like grace, mercy, and peace to come into our life. Actually, that's a false gospel that's being propagated even as we speak, multiple times, church after church, day after day, week after week, through many false gospel preaching churches. But the power of the gospel is not that God only allows things that look like grace, mercy, and peace to come into our life. But whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances that we find our life in, God has promised that he will bring from those grace and mercy and peace to us. I think that's even better. Because there are some definitive situations in my life that I could look at and go, that was not grace, mercy, and peace. So either God's a liar or I've misunderstood what he said. This, friends, is Christian fellowship. And Christian fellowship strengthens through truth and love to help you recognize and to receive God's grace and God's mercy and God's peace in your life. You see, Christian fellowship provides spiritual strength to walk in truth and love. Provide spiritual strength to walk in truth and love. What I want you to understand this morning is not just what it is, but now that we've laid the foundation for what Christian fellowship is all about, I want you to see three blessings that John gives to us, that he instructs to the church through his letter. These are three blessings of Christian fellowship. And here's the first one. The first blessing of Christian fellowship is a faithful love obedience, a faithful love, obedience. Go with me to verses 4 through 6, and let's read this passage together. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. You see, John is thrilled to hear of the testimonies that he's heard from the church. And here's what he's not saying. John's not saying, I am thrilled to hear of some of you that have walked in the truth. What did I just say to you? What I didn't say is that I'm excited about those people who are walking in the truth. (laughs) What I just said was, I'm not very thrilled about the people who aren't walking in the truth. Why? Why did I say that? Because of the way I said it. John's not doing that. As a matter of fact, when you read your Bible, you don't have to worry about reading God in between the lines. If you'll just read what God has written to you, that will be sufficient for you to know who God is, for you to experience His love, and to know how you can obey His commands. And that's exactly what John says. He says, man, I am so excited about some of the testimonies that I'm hearing that are coming out of your congregation and out of your church. And he affirms, and he simply says this, that that this is walking in the truth and this is how we love one another. And he affirms that this, in fact, is God's command that people would walk according to God's commandment. He had set that forth in 1 John 3, 23, when he writes, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. You see, John wants to see that multiplied over and over and over again throughout the entire congregation. And he says this, that testimony falters and, uh, fosters an increasing love for one another according to God's, uh, excuse me, increasing love for one another among the whole church. And then he tells that, that the way you are to love one another. So the testimonies that are told foster an increasing love for one another and the way that you are to love one another is that you are to obey God's commands. Now I want you to stay with me here, because a faithful love, obedience, this blessing of Christian fellowship, may be just a little off of what you've thought it to be in the past. He says, this is not a new command. This is the way God has always commanded it. And it is the way in which you learned it. You see, people walking in truth as God commands... It's always an encouraging testimony for the church. Somebody gets up and shares a testimony about how God spoke to them or what God's done in their life and how they're following after that. That that just, for me especially, I know for me personally, I love to hear that. I love to hear a person of any age talk about God and how God speaks to them and how God is leading them and and what God is doing in their life and, and how they're following Him as a result of that. But I think John is saying something more in his radical claim than simply the encouragement piece. And here's what he's saying, that, that I feel like we're so quick to not necessarily get this part. That the way you love one another is obeying God's commands. You go, well, yeah, thanks, Pastor. That's exactly what he just said. Okay, then let me turn the sentence and say it in another way. Obe, obedience to God's commands is how Christians are to love each other. Are you tracking with me right now? There are a lot of things that we can do, little and big alike, that express love to one another. But what John is saying that I believe is so radical, the capital T, capital H, capital E way that Christians love each other is by obeying God in their life. I don't know about you, but one of the first questions that comes to my mind in regards to that is simply this. How in the world does my obedience to God become love for another person? What does my obedience to God have anything to do with another person? Are you asking that in your, in your, in your heart and in your mind? Everybody wants to be loved. Do we not? I mean, this is the human condition. We want to be loved. We all express and we all receive love differently. Most people love other people in the way that they want to be loved by people. And I've had to learn in my life, that's not always an effective way to love other people. Like, for instance, the Christmas that I gave my wife, A new dishwasher. Babe. I mean just think about how quickly those dishes are going to get done now. When you load it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I use that as an illustration. But I can't lie to you. I've never given my wife a dishwasher for Christmas. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Right? Or a mixer for your anniversary. It doesn't matter if it's a magnum or not. It's the anniversary. But what do we do? We give people gifts that we want. Because we show love, usually in the ways that we want to receive love. Like the reason I give my dad some of the gifts I give him. Because I know my dad. They're going to the garage. And they're going to be perfectly organized in the garage. So what I do is when he comes back in from the garage, I go out to the garage, take the gift I just gave him, go put it in the back of the van and bring it home with me. Because that way it will get used. And my dad would want that gift to be used well. I am twisted and messed up to the core. But if you think I'm joking, do not be deceived. I am not joking. Don't act like you don't do it either. You try to give gifts people want and like, but at the end of the day, your natural bent is to go, oh, she would love this. No, dude, she's not going to love that at all. And if you don't learn how to love her well, you're going to keep giving her gifts like that and she's going to keep slapping you, right? What is he telling us here? What is he saying to us? I mean, we, we want to be loved. We're not asking, why am I here? We're not asking, what's the purpose of my life, right? We're, we're not asking, what is the meaning of life? I mean, these are massive questions. But, but bigger than all of those questions put together is, is the simple question, am I loved? And until I feel it. If the answer to that question is no, then the question that naturally follows is, then am I lovable? What's wrong with me that no one can love me? Right? When you think about these things, I I, I think about that country song, uh, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Right, That that one country song that laments how we look for love in all the wrong places and and how what we find is not really love at all. I mean, if you think about it, that's every country song. (laughs) But this song really identifies another issue that must be addressed in considering how to love each other. And that's simply, how do we want to be loved? You ever thought about that? We go looking for love. We work for people to love us. We will beg and we will strive to impress, to be loved in the way that we perceive as the greatest way that we could be loved. And yet I don't really need to belabor the point that so often the way that people go looking for love and working for love ends in very bad ways. Hence the root of abuse, of neglect, of addictions. When you get past all the cloud that those things create and you get back to it, it really is about one thing. They thought the bottle would love them more than people. They thought that man would love them. And that if she just tried harder, it would work out. Thought that person would show me love. Everybody wants to be loved and wants to know it, right? So how does obedience to God's word in my life show you that I love you? I don't know how many of you were at the picnic this last week, but we had a blast. Uh, It was a lot of fun, and towards the end of the picnic, we heard a couple of testimonies from some young adults that are in our church. And one, The first one was from a young lady. Her name is Darby Riley, and I'm going to introduce her to you very briefly. But Darby uh, graduated high school this year. She finished all of her school credits uh, in December, and so uh, because of what God had been doing in her life up until that time, she wanted to go in January and spend an extended period of time on the international mission field because she feels like God may be calling her to do that as a career. And so that's what she did. She went to uh, uh, another country and worked with missionaries for about three months in an environment like that and then returned home just in time uh, to graduate. This fall, she'll go to Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City and join the Fusion program. So the way that she goes to college is she'll go to college for a couple of months and then she'll go to an extended service overseas in an international mission environment uh, so that she can share the gospel with people of other nations and and languages and tribes and tongues. And so she just shared about how our church had, had been such an influence and showed her love and how God had worked through this. Another one you heard from was Ben Wright, and he talked about how he came to know the Lord, and and, and some of his struggles in the midst of that, but but how the church had served to, to help him, not just to know the Lord, but to grow in that, and what that meant, and he, he is now an intern with us, and serves under Pastor Chris as our uh, intern of, uh, of community, and so he's learning how to organize uh, people, and how to lead people, and, and how to do all the tasks and the things of ministry. And, and and seeing how God can work through that. And, and so I was so encouraged. I mean, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I hear these testimonies of how God is at work, man, it just, it just explodes within me. And I'm, I'm most encouraged and challenged, especially as I'm sure some of you are, when it's young adults and their lives just getting started down this path. And I think, pa path, excuse me, and i think how strong and how powerful of an influence that they'll be for the cause of Christ as they get such an early start. As I come back full scale to the point I want to make to you today is this. Do you know how and why those testimonies were made possible? Because there are people in this church who get up every day. You don't know their names. Some of them you might. They walk with God. They live their life daily for Him. And they pour their life into this congregation. And because of that, people's lives get changed. They are loved in a way that they could not be loved otherwise. It is the daily Walking in obedience that allows them to love people. Some they know and some they don't. That daily obedience that allows them to love one another in a way more powerful than they could do on their own. He says this, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Catch this Christian for you and for all others. When people walk in faithful obedience to God, the whole world gets loved faithfully, beginning with God's people among the fellowship of the church. But when we fail to live in faithful obedience to God's commands, we forsake true love for one another, and we forsake true love for all the people of the world. Living in obedience to God's commands serves the first and the greatest way that you, Christian, can love other people. That's the first blessing, a faithful love, obedience. The second blessing is in verses 7 through 11, and I want you to see these. Verse 7, he continues, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what you have worked for but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Here's the second blessing of Christian fellowship for your life. It provides a constant guard to watch yourself. A constant guard to watch yourself. Verse 7 shows why it is important for Christians to walk in the truth. Because walking in the truth provides a guard against those who are actively trying to deceive the church. And John warns the people uh, uh, that because he wants them to understand that this deception is a real threat that they will face every day. He tells them to watch themselves against these people and then he draws this contrast so that they can discern between a true and a false teacher, a true and a false God. He warns them, don't have anything to do with that. You see, friends, this threat of deception is real and present. We don't look at it in the same way that he's talking about it here, but we should align our understanding of the deception with his teaching on that deception. Because understanding this makes one a de- uh, understanding what makes a person a deceiver is the first important to discern the deception that comes towards you. And he says this, deceivers have gone out from the church and they've essentially denied the work of Jesus. They do it in small ways, in speculative ways. They cast questions, they accuse you, they subject your ideas and your own beliefs and convictions to speculation. And they don't debunk it all in once, but they just begin to chip away with smirks with smug responses, with laughs about that, and go, you really believe that stuff? And the deceivers, little by little, are coming at you on a daily basis, and the threat is real. He says, watch yourself in response to them. Every person must guard themselves against the deception of false teaching, because listen, he says this, a drop of deception destroys a lifetime of growth. I want you to focus on growth and maturity so that you can focus on the reward of faithfulness that God has waiting for you. And what Christian fellowship does is it strengthens you to guard against deception. You see, it guards against deception through fellowship and the discernment that comes through that. Here's what he does with this contrast. He contrasts a person who falls prey to deception versus one that stands against it. And listen to the description of the person who falls prey to the deception. He simply uses this description. Let me read it for you. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. That's how he describes the one who falls prey to deception. You see, this is not people who fall into what we might categorize as horrific, open, public sin where everyone goes, yep, I saw that coming. This is not people who announce, hey, I'm following my preacher to a a third world country because we're going to create a utopia. And if you're old enough to remember, there have actually been accounts in history where that's happened. Hundreds of people have died together. So you kind of scoff at that and laugh and go, I would never have that happen to me. But none of those people got into it for the reason that they got out of it. And neither will you. You see, what he says is they just go on their way. I, I've heard the story time and time again by preachers, and I'm going to use it this morning. It's another joke that's not funny. But it does make my point. There is the story of a man Whose house was going to be overtaken by the flood. And so when the floodwaters came up to the edge of his porch, he sent his family and his, his wife, but he said, uh, Hey, I'm going to stay here and protect my property. Uh, I'll be fine. Thank you. Go on. So he let the rescue boat go away. Well, the waters began to rise and they came to the top of the windows. Filling the house. So he climbed up on the roof. And on the roof, another boat came by and said, Sir, please come with us now. Let us rescue you and, 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 be, and be taken to safety. And he said, No, it's, it's getting to its highest point. I'll be fine. And then the water rises, and it's almost all the way up the roof where he is standing along the ledge of the roof. And as he stands there, a helicopter comes over, and he sees him. And they stop, and they lower a rope, and they go, Please, sir, take the rope, take the rope, and climb to safety. Let us rescue you. And he goes, No, I'm good. I'm good. Go ahead. The waters are about to crest. I'll be fine. I got some bad news for you. That man didn't make it out of that flood. But he went to heaven. That's good news. And when he got to heaven, he said to God, Why did you not save me? And God said, Are you kidding me? I sent two boats and a helicopter. Sometimes we miss the most obvious things in life that are right in front of us. And how often that occurs in Christian Fellowship. You see, people who get deceived, they don't have time to be with God or to be with His people. People who get deceived just don't have time to sit under the teaching or the study of His word or, or to serve in the church among His people. And people who get deceived, they won't listen to the people God has put all around their lives. You see, deception occurs when people just simply don't have time to time. To abide with God or His people. And they just end up walking away from both. That's where it begins, friends. Christians abide. That's what John tells us. Fellowship and community strengthens Christians to discern the deception of the Antichrist, the deceiver who is working in many ways to deceive us. And not only to discern it, but to walk away from it by walking daily in the truth of God's word. Because that's the only way to guard yourself and to discern Satan's deception. And he says this, when you know who they are, have nothing to do with them. Don't even be nice to them. Don't give them a cup of water. Don't entertain them. Be done with them. Walk away from them. The second blessing of Christian fellowship for your life is simple. It's a constant guard of people around you who are helping you watch yourself. The third blessing, and I'll close with this one. John writes, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Again, he's speaking of the church. Fellowship is not the only essential for faithfully living the Christian life in this world, but it is an essential priority for every. Christian let me tell you what the book of Hebrews does if you go to chapter 10 and you look at verses 19 to 24 it threads the gospel message and it says this that because of Christ's work we are saved and in salvation, we are brought into relationship. And in relationship, we can confess our sins. And we can confess the salvation and the lordship of Christ. And through confession, we are in fellowship with one another. He literally says, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Those are not four distinctions, friends. They are one And if you get one, you get them all. If you don't get them all, you didn't get one. Do you understand that? Christian fellowship is vital for you. When you confess Christ, you commit to his people. People enjoy church for all different kinds of reasons. They like the music. The preaching helps. People are friendly. It provides you something to do. For some reason, you think it's something you ought to do, so you do it. You think it'll make your kids better. And so you say, well, they need this. I'll, I'll go and put up with it because it'll make them better. People go to church for all different kinds of reasons. But if you want church to provide spiritual strength as God intended it, you need to know that means Christian fellowship is an essential for your life. There is no other plan. This is God's Way. People are not the source of your joy, but they are the means through which God multiplies joy in Christian fellowship. I'm going to ask the worship team to return. These are the blessings of Christian fellowship. He said, But I've been in the church before, Pastor, and people have hurt me. So have I. So have I. You know why? They're going to hurt you again, probably. Because we're imperfect. Sometimes those hurts are really small and sometimes they seem insurmountably large. But it doesn't change the fact that John was confident in the grace and the mercy and the peace that will be ours. You see, when we establish our relationships and fellowship that is based on truth and love, it doesn't matter what comes up, we have a way to walk through it and to follow Jesus in the midst of it. Let me ask you some questions about what fellowship is to you. Does Christian fellowship look like your social life with some Christian labels and lingo put to it? That will destroy you every time. Because you will assign a weight of responsibility on that fellowship that it will never be able to sustain Because it's mixed with the wrong things. It's not centered on Christ. It's just got accessories of Christ on it. And it will always disappoint you. And the first disappointment will simply be this. It's just not doing it for me anymore. Must be that stupid preacher. It's those songs we sing. You know, it's so and so that's in my group. And man, they just drive me nuts. Sometimes people drive you nuts in church because God wants to drive the nuts out of you. Let me ask you another question does christian fellowship salve your conscience as a counterbalance to other friends you have you know we do this in our morality and salvation we? well you know i'm not perfect you know i got a few things here i'll admit and some i hide but i do a lot of good right and so you go hey man i'm good with this here's the problem the gospel tells us this this is not what's just damning your soul this is too Because your righteous good deeds are as filthy rags. You're never going to do enough or impress God because you can't. But the good news is you don't have to. You don't need to just try to get these things off the scale. You need to remove the scale altogether. And you do the same thing with your friends. You go, you know, i got some friends that i love to hang out with, but man, they don't want anything to do with church. So we just don't talk about Jesus when we're around each other. Well, that means at the very beginning, something else is centering that relationship. Oh, but that's okay, because I've got some Christian friends too. We talk about Jesus all the time, at least once a month. How often are you together? Three or four times a week. And we always try to find good Christian terms to put with it. Here's my point. Both of these relationships are killing you. Because you think you have something you don't have. And what you need to do is not to realize that God wants me to choose these friends and these are my favorites, but I have to tell them to go away. No, what God wants you to do is bring Jesus to the center of both of those relationships. So you can draw strength and you can pass love to one another. Here and here. And while this this relationship may change, Because if they don't want to hear about Jesus and they don't want to regard that you love him, they may walk away from you. I'm going to tell you, this relationship better change if you expect Christian fellowship to ever have any value or benefit for your life. Because you'll blame it on God when Christians disappoint you. Where are you? What is fellowship to you? As you prepare to come to the Lord's table, let me just say this. If you're a Christian and you have repented of your sins and turned from trusting in yourself and you know that you're trusting only in the work of Christ to save you, welcome to the table. We want to invite you, whether you're a regular attender or member, you're welcome to come and take the elements of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, no one's going to point you out, no one's going to embarrass you in any way. I'm just simply asking you, Please refrain from taking the elements of the Lord's Supper simply because it doesn't mean to you what it means to us. And so we would ask that you honor our remembrance because you see, when we say that truth is central to fellowship, it centers right here on the finished, complete, full work of Jesus Christ. And so for the next few moments, we're going to partake of these elements to remind ourselves, to celebrate, to repent, and to return to the full work of Jesus for us. And if for the first time today you've come to a point where you've realized that you're not a Christian, but you know today you want to become one, please come. Find a pastor here on the front row on either side. We'll be here ready for you. Let us pray with you and encourage you and help you. Let's go before the Lord.